0: All right, well, if you would, take out your Bibles with me this morning. Let's open them up to the book of Matthew, to the book of Matthew in chapter 27, the gospel of Matthew in chapter 27. Uh, Lord willing, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together uh, six times over the year 2013, and today is the first Uh, of those times when we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church family. Each time we do this, I want to draw our attention from the pulpit to the death and the suffering of our Savior. I want us to come to the Lord's table freshly reminded of His great love for us. I want us to be moved to worship by deep gratitude I want us to be newly resolved to love our great Savior with everything that we are. So for the first three of the Lord's Supper services that we will have in 2013, I want us to think about the various instruments that were used in the torture and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I want us to look specifically at the crown of thorns, the next time we have a Lord's Supper service, we will look at the cross itself. And then the third time, we're going to look at the spear that pierced Christ's side. There's a reason God ordained things to occur the way He did. Each of those instruments is full of significance for us. Let's read together Matthew 27, 27-31 as we think about the crown of thorns. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews! And they spit on him, and took the reed, and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. Friends, we know that nothing happens by accident. Even in our days recently of studying the story of Joseph and his brothers, we have seen that God works all things according to the counsel of His own will. Everything is a part of God's master plan, and certainly, as the heart of that plan, every aspect of the crucifixion was carefully designed and orchestrated by God. This is the center point of redemption. Here is the moment in which God's glory was put more on display than in any other moment in all of human history. In the suffering and death of Jesus, God's justice and His mercy, His righteousness and His grace, His wrath against sin and His love for sinners all come together and are put in remarkable display for us. We can be sure that not one aspect of this event was left to chance. Every aspect of the suffering and the death of Christ was chosen by God and chosen for a reason. So when we get to a passage like this, it is right of us to ask, why did God cause it to be so that His Son would be crowned with a crown of thorns. Of all the kinds of suffering in this world, of all the instruments of pain that were available, what was God up to? What was the significance of this crown? This morning I want to give you some biblical answers to that question. And the first is this. The crown of thorns was a crown of mockery. The crown of thorns was a crown of mockery. It is clear in this passage that this is what the Roman soldiers were doing when they twisted together this crown. They were mocking our Lord. Jesus was taken by Pilate's soldiers into the place that Matthew calls Pilate's headquarters. Now, though it's called Pilate's headquarters here, it goes by other names elsewhere in Scripture. It was a structure known in Roman times as a praetorium. It was a structure that served not only as the headquarters of Pilate, but as the headquarters of all of Rome's rule in Judea. It was from this complex that Roman guards received their training. It was in this structure that Roman guards were to receive their equipment and their orders for duty. It was a very busy place. It was a large place. It was a place akin to a police headquarters in our own day. And Jesus was taken to a wide open space, a courtyard, in the midst of the praetorium. This was a space that was probably most often used for training soldiers, for for exercises. And you must not think that there were just a handful of men involved in the cruel torture of our Savior that took place in this space. Matthew says a battalion took part. A battalion. A Roman battalion was 600 men. We have 600 men ganged around this prisoner and they are feeding off of one another sadistic glee as they mess with him, as they torture him, as they play games with him. As one man would come up with a creative way to mock Christ, another would come up with another creative way to mock the prisoner. What we are to imagine here is a large group of young men taking sport and torturing the Lord Jesus. Now all through Jesus' ministry, there had been those who believed that the Messiah would come and lead a rebellion against Rome. The Jewish people would be freed from Rome's rule and the Messiah would be the new king over the reestablished independent nation of Israel. They thought the Messiah would be a military hero that would free the nation of Israel from the conquering Romans. And some people spoke of Jesus that way. This is what they had in mind when they spoke of Jesus as king of the Jews. And these Roman soldiers had heard... Some of the Israelites talking this way. They call this man Jesus, the King of the Jews. They think He's going to be the one to start this rebellion. And their allegiance was to Rome. Their allegiance was to the emperor. And quite frankly, they were probably tired of these pesky Jews who always seemed to be talking about rebellion. And these men recognized that the Jewish people were weak compared to the mighty forces at Rome's disposal. They laughed at the idea of a Jewish rebellion. They laughed at the idea of this man standing before them, being a conquering military hero. This is what led them to mock Jesus. What a fool this man must be to call himself a king, as if he could stand against the emperor of Rome. They had no idea of the spiritual things that were happening. They had no idea of the bigger drama that was taking place in and through them. They stripped Christ of His clothes. We know from the other Gospels that He was flogged. I assume they would have done this now with His clothes off, with His back exposed. Uh, It's not exactly clear whether they flogged him before they played these mocking games or after they played these mocking games, but we do know that they did flog him. The whipping would have been very painful. Uh, The way it worked is there were chips of bone in the whip, and so when it went into the back, it would pierce the skin and, and pull it off. In this passage, though, Matthew is not focusing on the physical pain of being flogged. He's focusing on the emotional torture of Christ, the emotional suffering of our Savior as these soldiers mocked Him. This mockery was accompanied, though, by a great deal of physical pain as well. Now, by this point, Christ had been up all night without sleep. He had stood judgment before the religious leaders... He had stood before Pilate, he had stood before Herod, he had been brought back to Pilate again, he had been taken from one place to another and then to the next, and all along the way he had been roughly treated. The Gospel writers tell us that before this point he had already been beaten with fists. And so the Lord Jesus is at this point certainly very weak and very weary. Matthew tells us that the soldiers put a scarlet robe on him. This robe was to signify the purple robes of royalty worn by kings. The soldiers cut branches off of a thorn bush and twisted the thorns together to form a crown. They pressed the crown upon his head, certainly so that the thorns would pierce his skin. They took a reed and placed it in his right hand. All of this was done to ridicule Jesus. A real king would wear an expensive robe of fine purple. A real king um, would have a golden crown. A real king would have a strong and mighty staff. Jesus wears a worn out, faded scarlet garment. He wears a crown that came from the dust. He carries a reed out of the river that would break easily. And now dressed up in this demeaning way, Jesus stands quietly as the soldiers relish in their game. We see them kneel before Him and they cry out, Hail, King of the Jews! And they laugh and they laugh. They look at each other with wide grins, and they spit on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can imagine the saliva of these pagan men flowing down the face of Christ. We're told that they took the reed out of His hand and hit Him across the head with it. The goal here was to humiliate this wannabe king The goal here was to stick it to the Jewish people and all their plans of rebellion to put them into their place. These men had no idea who they were dealing with. But Christ endured it all. And Christ bore the mockery. The One who created all things. The One by whose very power these soldiers had existence. These soldiers had life. He subjected Himself to be taunted by them and to be derided by them. This was the shame and humiliation that you and I deserve because of our sins. We ought to be treated like this. Treated like this and worse by a holy God. But Christ in our place, Christ the Righteous One, the Christ who has no reason to be ashamed and to have no humiliation poured upon Him, that Christ stood in our place and endured it. This was a crown of mockery. And this episode reveals to us the wickedness of the human heart. Here we see so clearly why the human race is so in need of a Savior. Because here is a man who had only done what was right. What did Jesus done? He healed sick people. He cast out demons. He preached love of the little money that the disciples took in, they gave to the poor. He even told the people to obey their authorities. He was not a wicked, evil man. This was a man who was pure and blameless, and yet these soldiers took sadistic pleasure in mocking him. And are we to think that they're all that different from you or me? It isn't like you and I have never mocked Christ, it isn't as if we've ever trampled on his commands. You and I, time and again, have spat upon the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that matters far more than actual spit. Those men acted in ignorance. You and I have acted in in knowledge. We know who Jesus is. Yet how many times, knowing who Jesus is, have we refused to give Him the honor He is due? How many times have we set ourselves and our own supposed wisdom against His and done what we thought was right, rather than what He says is right? How many times have we done our will rather than His? We have treated Christ as though His robe is only a robe of faded scarlet. We have treated Jesus as if His only crown is a crown of thorns. We have treated Him as if His only staff is a reed. We've treated him as if he's no real king at all, not one to be feared, not one to tremble before. And yet, dear friends, Jesus is the king, the king of kings and the lord of lords. It was a crown of mockery. Answer number two this was a crown of fulfillment, a crown of fulfillment. You see, though these soldiers were acting out of their own twisted depravity, though they were delighting themselves in humiliating Christ, they did not know it, but they were actually fulfilling Christ's own prophetic words. Their actions were bringing to pass what Jesus Himself had promised would come to pass. Even as they ridiculed Jesus, they were unknowingly revealing him to be who he claimed to be. Not just a king, but the very Son of God himself. Flip back just a few pages to Matthew 20. Look at Matthew 20. Let me show you something here. Matthew 20, beginning in verse 17. Matthew 20, and verse 17. So these soldiers are actually bringing to pass the prophetic words of Jesus. They are proving Jesus to be who He claims to be. Now, by the way, this isn't the only prophecy that they're fulfilling. In fact, the crown of thorns were themselves prophetically typified in the book of Genesis. Do you remember the deeply moving story of Abraham preparing to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice to God? We studied that a couple of years ago, that that passage in which we saw that all through that passage there is aspect after aspect after aspect pointing to the cross. That account of Abraham preparing to sacrifice Isaac is pointing straight to the cross. But one of the most amazing parts of that story is this one. Abraham has the knife raised. He is ready to slaughter his son. Abraham's heart is breaking. He is doing what he knows he must. He is acting in faith. And as he is about to take the life of Isaac, an angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, calls out for Abraham to stop and to Abraham's great relief, Isaac is spared. A substitute sacrifice has been prepared by God. There is one who will be sacrificed in Isaac's place. Listen to Genesis twenty-two thirteen. 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns, and Abraham, when he went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. What was the substitute for Isaac? It was a male sheep, a ram. And this is a picture used of the Messiah over and over again in the Old Testament. The most famous is Isaiah 53. You and I are compared to sheep. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. But then Jesus is pictured as a substitute sheep. Isaiah says, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so He opened not His mouth. So this sheep that appears on the mountain as a substitute for Isaac is a picture of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who is our sacrifice on the cross if we are his. But did you notice what was unique about this particular sheep that Abraham sees on the mountain? We're told that this sheep has his horns caught in a thicket. The horns of a sheep are a symbol of his authority and rule. But this sheep's head is crowned with the branches of dense bushes twisted around his horns. In other words, there was a very real prophetic foreshadowing of our Savior on the mountain. And as the crown of thorns was placed upon Christ's head, it was unmistakable. This is the Messiah. This is the Lamb that the Old Testament spoke of. Them putting the crown of thorns on his head was them unknowingly declaring, This is the one who was spoken of, the one promised to Abraham, the one promised in the pages of the Old Testament. And so the crown of thorns was a crown of fulfillment. Third, this was a crown of symbolism, a crown of symbolism. To understand this, you only need to ask yourself an obvious question Why a crown of thorns? Why of thorns? What is God saying by choosing thorns? And one way to figure that out is simply to ask well, what does the rest of the Bible say about thorns? And we find out that the Bible says quite a bit, but you know where it begins right at the fall of man. Right at the very beginning. Turn with me to Genesis 3. Turn with me to Genesis 3. The human race has just sinned against God. Adam and Eve have rebelled and separated themselves from God by their disobedience. Now, God is issuing a curse upon mankind. The wages of sin are coming upon all creation. Look at Genesis 3, beginning in verse 17. Beginning in verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. In other words, before the fall, there may not even have been thorns. We don't even know if thorns existed between, before Genesis 3. Before Genesis 3, the earth produced easily. The earth produced fruitfully for Adam. As Adam exercised his dominion over this new creation, he would farm, he would plant seeds, and the the earth just produced bountifully. And now God says, because of man's sin, that will no longer be the case. Thorns were created by God as a visible symbol of his curse. It is a physical, visible symbol of the spiritual curse that has come upon all of us for our sin. From Genesis 3 through the rest of the Old Testament, thorns always represent barrenness, death, the curse of God because of sin. Thorns are used in the rest of the Old Testament as the opposite of paradise. It is the opposite of a land flowing with milk and honey. When God speaks of bringing judgment, especially in the prophets, He loves to use the language of thorns. Isaiah 7.23, In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. At the same time, when God speaks of blessing His people in the Old Testament, He often uses the language of taking away thorns. Isaiah 55:13 Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off Now for time's sake I didn't put any more there were many of these texts The Old Testament is full of this language of thorns as a symbol for the curse of God Now here's my question if thorns are meant to be a vivid symbol of the curse of God upon man because of our sin, what does it mean when the soldiers take a crown of thorns and place it upon Christ's head? What is being said in that moment? In God's sovereign providence, unbeknownst to these soldiers, they are declaring the gospel. They are using a picture that shows the curse coming upon Christ's head for our sakes. In the very moment, in that very moment, God was bringing His curse against man's sin and placing it on Christ. As the soldiers were placing the thorns on Christ, Christ was bearing more than the thorns. He was bearing the very wrath of God against man's sin. In His very soul, Christ was beginning to experience what it was to be forsaken by God. Worse than the physical pain, worse than the mockery, was the experience of being cut off from His Father. Jesus wore the crown of thorns for every person who will ever believe on Him. He wore it willingly. That's why He did not fight these soldiers. That's why He did not protest. He submitted Himself to wear the curse of God upon His own soul. He quietly, humbly wore the crown. He accepted the suffering. He took the curse upon Himself. He bore it to the tree, and He bore it completely away. Jesus took this crown to the cross. And there he experienced the wrath of God against sin in a measure that neither you nor I can possibly imagine. Jesus' soul experienced the depths of hell itself as God's righteous judgment was poured out on Christ. The curse for every lie you've ever told, the curse for every moment of hatred or bitterness that you've ever felt, the curse for every impure thought, the curse for every rash word, the curse for your lack of self-control, your greed, your pride. Our sins pile up like Mount Everest, and the guilt of our sins reaches to the moon. But Christ fully drank the cup of the wrath of God for his people. It was all poured out on Him. It was emptied upon His head that you and I might be spared. Amen? Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus was stripped of His clothes and His dignity so that we could be clothed in the sparkling raiment of His righteousness. Jesus wore a crown of thorns, that God could be just in giving us a crown of righteousness. Hear me, dear Christian. Do you want to know what love is? Here it is. God's righteous wrath poured out on Christ in our place, so that we could live forever in His love and His mercy. Justice fully satisfied. We are justly held guiltless in God's sight. We are blameless before the Father because of Jesus. We now live in God's blessing because His wrath has been fully propitiated at the cross so that God has nothing but love, love, love. No more wrath for those who are united to Christ. And so dear friend, the question is this, are you united to Christ? Did Jesus wear the crown of thorns for you? Are your sins forgiven? Or will you find yourself standing alone before the judgment seat with the penalty of your sins still standing on your head? Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. He wore the crown of symbolism. He, he bore the curse of God for all who would believe on Him. And so I close with this answer, this last answer. Yes, it was a crown of mockery. Yes, it was a crown of fulfillment. Yes, it was a crown of symbolism. But it was also a crown of foreshadowing. Of foreshadowing. Because it foreshadowed another crown that would be placed on the head of the Lord Jesus Christ. The soldiers laughed and laughed at this bleeding, broken man. They delighted in the silly crown that they had made for him. They gleefully scoffed at the idea of this man having any authority at all. But by wearing the crown of thorns, Jesus earned from His Father a greater crown. The crown of thorns did not last. The crown of thorns has turned to dust. But Christ's body did not turn to dust. Jesus fully obeyed His Father. He did everything His Father asked Him to do. He obeyed even to the point of dying on a cross and now, having accomplished redemption for all who will repent and believe, it was the Father's joy to raise Jesus from the dead and to give to Him all authority and all power over all the world. He wears a better crown. He has all authority. God had promised blessing to Adam. If Adam would be faithful, Adam wasn't. But Jesus, the second Adam, was. And now Jesus has entered into his reward. Jesus rules over all, not only as the Son of God, but as the Son of Man who fulfilled all that God called him to do. All of those who reject Jesus, who mock Jesus, who treat Jesus and His people with scorn, are hereby put on notice. Listen to how our Messiah is described in Revelation 14, 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. You see, the Lord Jesus' crown of thorns has been traded for a crown of gold. The reed has been traded for a sickle. And why a sickle? Listen to the next two verses. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Jesus has earned a golden crown. He has all authority and power. And what is he using his authority and power to do? To reap a harvest for God to save people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, to bring to his Father safely anyone and everyone who will believe on his name. The crown of thorns was a foreshadowing of the true authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, dear friends, Jesus has authority to save. He has authority to save even you if you are not his Your sins are not too great for Him. His sacrifice was sufficient. If you will have Jesus as your your Savior, if you will follow Him as your Lord, if you will trust Him as your Shepherd, you will find that everything He endured was for your sake. You will find that He is full of love and compassion, that He delights to use His authority to care for helpless sinners like you and me. And so as we come to the Lord's table, we should come to the Lord's table just as we are, even with all our sin, but we're to come in faith. Faith is what makes Jesus our Jesus. Faith takes the person and the work of Christ and makes them ours, so that we are His and He is ours and we are forever safe and secure. As we take the bread, we are declaring that Christ's body was broken for us. As we take the cup, we are declaring that Christ's blood was shed for us. He is everything that we need. He is more than we could ever want. If you do not know this Savior, then I hope that you will watch as we take the Lord's Supper, that you will see His substitutionary life and death proclaimed to you, and that you would stop trying to earn favor with God by your own works. Instead, I hope that you will rest in what Christ has done for you. He bore the curse of God for sinners so that we might have his blessing forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.